Let's get into God's Word, but before, let me, tell, let me ask you this. Have you ever read a story or seen a movie in which the real hero is not the one who gets most of the credit or attention for the great things narrated in the book or displayed on the screen? Well, this morning I'm going to tell you about a story in which that is exactly what happens. This is one of my favorite narratives in all of the Bible. And as we will see in a moment, it's a somewhat sad but also fascinating and moving story that contains a number of valuable lessons uh, that we need to learn or be reminded of about God's power for healing and salvation. And it's also about the importance of having faith to see the power of God at work in our own lives. The title of this message is God's power is released through faith. And the story is told in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. But before we open the scriptures, let me give you a brief historical background of the nation of Israel in those days. The events that we're going to read about took place in the northern kingdom, whose capital was Samaria in around the year 850 B.C., the king of Israel at the time was Joram, the son of Ahab, who was one of the worst kings, if not the worst, in the history of the northern kingdom. And he was the son of Jezebel, who was by far the worst queen, queen that that kingdom had. And the main prophet of God in the northern kingdom was Elisha, the successor of Elijah. Aram is another name for the nation of Syria. And Aram was an all-time archenemy of Israel, although at this time there was no formal war between the two nations. However, minor border attacks continue to occur from time to time, and it is one of these attacks that sets the stage for our story, found, as I said before, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. Let's read from God's precious Word. Why don't you follow along as I read? Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and, and in high favor because by him the Lord had, had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper, now the Syrians, on one of the raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking to a quarrel with me. 
But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let her be given to your servant, two mules load of earth, from you, from, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, Leaning on, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardoned your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts that we may receive what you are going to speak to all of us and help us to believe your words and to put them into practice. And help me proclaim your truth faithfully and effectively in Jesus' name. Amen. The first character that we encounter in verse 1 of this chapter is a very prominent man whose name is Naaman. And whose prominence comes from three facts. He was the supreme commander of the Syrian army, as indicated by the term captain, in some uh, Bible translations, which is a term used of an army's highest-ranking officer. And he was also a great man and highly regarded by his master, the king, as by everyone else, because of the military victories the Lord had given to his nation through him. And he was also a very valiant soldier, a very brave and courageous warrior. But there was a big problem with this great man. A problem so severe that no human solution was available for his problem anywhere in the world. Naaman suffered from the most dreaded disease of those days. He had leprosy. 
which is a term the Bible uses to refer to a variety of fatal skin diseases that slowly crippled, disfigured, and eventually killed their victims. And I suspect that being aware of his sad condition prevented Naaman from enjoying his outstanding success in every other area of his life. But in yet another display of his grace and his kindness towards sinners like Naaman, who, by the way, as we will see later, was very much like you and me. The God of Israel allowed a series of events to take place in order to make Naaman aware of the only possible solution to his incurable leprosy. I will break down our passage in three main points as we see the events through which God manifested His power for healing and salvation in the life of this pagan army general. Point number one, the strong faith of a little girl. This is in verses 2 and 3. In spite of his prominence, I submit to you that Naaman is not the key character in this story. And it is in verses 2 and 3 that we encounter the real heroine. Let's read those verses. I'm going to read it now in the New International Version. Now, bands of raiders from Syria or Aram had gone out and had taken captain a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. In order to fully grasp and appreciate what God wants to teach us through this young girl, we need to know what most commentators believe, that Naaman himself was responsible for all the raids carried out by Syrian bands on Israeli territory. And he was responsible either because he was leading those raids or because he authorized some of his soldiers to carry out those attacks. So keep that in mind. Because we cannot even begin to imagine what it was like for this little girl who was between 12 and 14 years of age to be taken by force from her loved ones, her home, her nation to a pagan and hostile nation where she would become the slave of a servant or the servant of a woman who happened to be the wife of the man responsible for her tragedy. And from the terrible circumstances under which she was taken captive, we can assume only two scenarios. The best one would be that her family was also taken captive and later sold as slaves somewhere else in Syria. And the worst one would be that all her loved ones had been killed and she was the only survivor of that specific attack. We really don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, doesn't give us any details. But regardless of what actually happened, the fact is that she underwent terrible suffering at the hands of the Syrians. And when we meet her, she's at the very bottom of the social structure in Syria because she's a foreigner She's from a hated nation, an enemy nation. She's a slave. She's a female and a very young one. 
And I guess we could say that her life had been devastated. Her hopes had been crushed. Her future had been destroyed. But it is precisely in the midst of this darkness that her faith is going to be used by God in such a way that it will impact the lives of those around her and it can even impact our own lives today. 3,000 years later, if we listen to what God wants to teach us through this very young girl. From what we've seen so far, wouldn't you expect this young girl to be full of anger, full of hatred toward her captors, and especially towards the man most responsible for her pain and suffering, in whose household she was forced to live and work as a slave? Think about how many times she must have laid down at night, not only unable to sleep, but unable to stop weeping, crying for her loved ones and for having such an uncertain future. And then she would get up morning after morning, knowing that at some point during the day, she would, e she would either see the face or hear the voice of the man who caused her sorrows. But because of the strong faith, the unshakable faith that this girl had in her God, the God of her parents, this girl was different. She had been taught, and apparently very well, that even if all that was dear to her was gone, the love, the mercy, and the protection of the Almighty God of Israel could never be taken away from her. And moreover, she was well taught from Leviticus 19.18 to love her neighbor as herself, because when she found out that Naaman had that terrible and incurable disease known as leprosy, instead of giving in to bitterness and fantasies of revenge, instead of saying, he deserves that and more, may his flesh fall apart one finger at a time. No, she reacted in a completely opposite way, with forgiveness, with compassion. Listen to her words in verse 3. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. These words are full of love and compassion, for she really wanted to help him and relieve him of his suffering. This girl is truly amazing. She had the chance to see Naaman suffer and suffer horribly by not sharing what she knew. But however, she refused to do that. And instead, she did what her God wanted her to do. She forgave Naaman and became the instrument not only for her, the healing of his body, but for a miracle much greater, for the salvation of his soul. As Tim Keller put it, she suffered and forgave, not knowing how much God would use her sacrifice. And now let me ask you, have you suffered greatly and unjustly at the hands of someone? Are you still suffering the consequences of the evil that someone did to you? How are you reacting to those offenses? 
God wants to give you the grace you need to forgive and to extend compassion like this girl did with Naaman. But we need to believe Him. We need to be willing, and He will enable us to forgive and to love those who hurt us. What enabled this girl to have such compassion? Do you know what it was? It was her faith. She had a very strong and unshakable faith in God. And never forget that our faith not only assures us that our sins are forgiven and that we'll go to heaven when we die, our faith changes us from the inside. Our faith allows us to treat others as the God in whom we believe, with compassion, with forgiveness, with kindness. Her faith was truly remarkable because this girl was not satisfied with merely forgiving Naaman and wishing that he would get well. This girl would not be content with only praying and interceding on Naaman's behalf before the only true and living God. Her faith in the power and goodness of God and her own love and compassion for Naaman were so strong that she could not simply pray and remain silent. Her mouth needed to speak out of the abundance of her heart. And she was more than willing to take any risks the risk of being ridiculed, perhaps, or even punished. This girl's faith made her bold enough to proclaim to her mistress the good news she knew and firmly believed. And notice how she not only told her about the prophet and where he lived. With remarkable boldness and faith, she added, without a shadow of a doubt in her words, he would cure him of his leprosy. And why did she speak with such assurance and confidence in what God or the prophet of God would be able to do by the power of God? Was it because of her own ignorance of what Naaman's disease was all about? I don't think so. And though the Bible doesn't tell us, I believe she knew what a terrible illness leprosy was. But her faith was so strong that she was persuaded God could heal any disease, including leprosy. And I also believe her faith came, just as yours and mine, from hearing, hearing all that her parents and grandparents and perhaps, perhaps other relatives told them as she was growing up in Israel. She kept hearing about the mighty deeds God performed by the hands of His prophets, especially Elijah in the past and Elisha in the present. I believe that after hearing attentively and with great interest of miracle after miracle for years, including the miracle of bringing a dead person back to life, she was absolutely convinced that healing Naaman's leprosy would be no big deal for the God of Israel. She had the simple but very effective faith of a little girl. And most likely, most likely, 
she was very persistent in telling her mistress about the prophet and in assuring her that he would cure her husband of his leprosy. I wonder how long she kept telling her the same thing over and over again. And I want to ask you another thing. What kind of faith do you have in the power and the promises of God? Is your faith big enough to make you bold and persistent to proclaim the gospel to those in your sphere of influence who are infected with a worse leprosy than that of Naaman's? The leprosy of sin? Perhaps you already shared the gospel with some of those around you and they ignored you or they rejected you or even ridiculed you. Do you love God and them enough to be persistent in assuring them that Jesus can heal them of the leprosy of their sin? And let me tell you a little from my own personal experience here. I grew up as the oldest of five siblings, four brothers and our youngest sister. And the first person who ever got saved in our family, not just my immediate family, but my extended family on both sides, was my second oldest brother, Raul. He was in high school and I was already attending college in another city. But every time I came back during vacation time, he would immediately tell me that I needed Jesus. He would not stop for anything in the world. And I was very mean with him. I was a self-righteous, arrogant, very religious young man, so I thought I was fine with God. I actually believed that I would go to heaven because I behaved very well and would go to Mass every Sunday and take confession every Sunday, take communion every Sunday. And my brother would come and tell me, you are a vile sinner and your religion will do no good to you. You are lost. And I would get angry at him. And do you know what I would tell him? You need Jesus because you are a dummy in school. I always did very well in school, so that's the only thing I could use against him. <laughs> but he persisted in telling me that I needed Jesus. And do you know for how long? Seven years. Seven years later, God had mercy on me and finally opened my eyes to see that I was lost. How many of you still have loved ones who are not saved, who have not been healed of their sin leprosy? I'm sure all of you have. Are you, only, are you not only praying for their salvation, but sharing the gospel with them in a wise and loving way, obviously, because my brother was not always very gracious to me? <laughs> when was the last time you told them with the same compassion and assurance the young girl spoke to Naaman's wife that only Jesus can heal and save their souls? If we love them, we cannot give up on them. We must persist in telling them about Jesus because the vast majority of believers do not convert to Christ after they hear the gospel for the first time. 
I read this several years ago, maybe it's, it's even more now, but according to the experts, it takes on average about 32 interactions or conversations before someone comes to a true saving faith. So let's keep telling those we love that if they come to Jesus, He can heal them and save their souls. That's point number one. Point number two, the weak faith of a great man in verses 4 through 12. From verse 4, we can assume that his wife eventually told Naaman what the Israelite girl said about the prophet being able to heal him of his leprosy. And why can we assume that? Because in verse 4, we read that Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. The king of Syria encouraged him to go to Israel and wrongly assuming that the prophet of God was under the service of the king of Israel, he wrote him a letter asking him to cure Naaman of his leprosy. Naaman went to the king of Israel with the letter and huge gifts of silver, gold, and clothing. The king of Israel is frightened when he reads in the letter that the king of Syria is asking him to perform a task only God can accomplish. And he concludes that the king of Syria is trying to pick up a quarrel with me. But somehow, the text doesn't say how, Elisha finds out that the king of Israel is in panic, and in verse 8, he sends him this message. Why have you torn your robes or clothes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. But let's focus now on Naaman's response to all of this. Up to this point, we might assume that he had at least a little faith to be healed by the God of Israel. But the rest of this section will show us that that's not the case. He went with his horses and chariots to the front door of Elisha's house, and Elisha did not even bother to meet him, to speak to him face to face. In verse 10, we read that he sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. In his arrogance, because of his personal greatness, his impressive gifts and his diplomatic letter, Naaman expected personal and immediate attention from the prophet. But he was so full of pride that he wanted to manipulate God and his prophet by figuring out how he should be healed of his leprosy. And what God told him through Elisha and the way he conveyed God's message was an insult to him because it was too easy. It didn't require a mighty deed from his, this great man. He got really mad as we read in verses 11 and 12. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went away in a rage. In his mercy and wisdom, God wanted to heal Naaman first, of a disease far worse than leprosy, his own pride. 
And to do this, Naaman had to learn one of the hardest lessons that we all need to learn, that the God of Israel is like no other God. He cannot be controlled by anyone, not even by kings or prominent people like Naaman. For he is the sovereign Lord who controls the whole universe. Naaman had to learn that this God deals with human beings only on the basis of grace. Because no one, no one can earn, gain, or purchase their own blessing or healing or salvation. He had to assume a posture of humility in his own heart to be able to acknowledge that he was weak and helpless and that he could receive his healing only as a free gift from the God of Israel, only as an act of grace. Otherwise, God would always resist him. Naaman needed to understand that what really matters is our obedience to the words of God, not the quality of the water in which God tells us to go and wash. And because we are prone to be like Naaman, we need to examine our own hearts to see if our pride is keeping us from receiving God's gracious blessing in any area of our lives. That's point number two, and this takes us to my last point, point number three. The power of God released through simple faith in verses 13 through 19. Our story has a happy ending. For the proud commander-in-chief of a powerful army learned this lesson in humility, but not without some help from his servants. Read with me again verses 13 and 14. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, and I like how the NIV renders this section, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and the men of God, as the men of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He finally responded with simple faith and humble obedience to the words spoken to him by Elisha. And after doing what? Doing exactly what God told him to do, he was forever healed, but not only of his leprosy, he was healed of his pride and sin. In verse 15, from his response to this miraculous healing, we can see that Naaman's life experienced a radical transformation from the inside out. Verse 15 says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Notice, because this is very important, notice how he goes back to Elisha, and the first thing that he says to him has nothing whatsoever to do with his physical healing. 
which was the reason why he went to look for Elijah in the first place. But rather, with his new and pro he talks to him with a new and profound conviction in his heart, knowing that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And he is so full of gratitude that he urges Elijah to accept a gift from him. And notice also how, he, how the formerly proud army general now refers to himself as what? As Elijah's servant. What a contrast to his previous attitude. His physical healing is rather irrelevant now in light of the deep change God has performed in his heart. And this is why he doesn't even once make a reference to having been cured of his leprosy. That is the kind of transformation that only the grace of God can bring about in a person's life. So determined is Naaman to worship only the Lord from now on that he even carries some soil from Samaria to his own town to build an altar on which he will worship the God of Israel. Because in those days, it was commonly thought that a deity could be worshipped only on the soil of the nation to which he was bound. And in verses 18 and 19, he makes another interesting request of Elisha. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing, when my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha says, go in peace. As an aide to Syria's king, Naaman's duty demanded that he accompany the king to religious services at the temple of his God. But this is why he requested that the Lord may forgive him for doing that, although his heart is a completely changed heart now. From now on, he's going to worship only one God, the true and living God of Israel. How about you? Have you been saved by the same grace and the same God that transformed Naaman's life? And if you have, and I know that many of you have, are you walking in humility and deep gratitude, determined to always worship only the Lord who saved you? If you have not been saved, I have good news for you. The same grace that healed and saved Naaman is available to you today if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose on the third day that everyone who receives Him may be declared righteous instead of guilty before God. But let's not forget that all that happened to Naaman was made possible because of the simple faith of a young slave girl who decided to extend forgiveness and compassion to her worst enemy and to share with him what she knew about the true and living God. And I wonder something else. This girl is one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible. And when we go to heaven, you're going to see me talking to her often. And I wonder how Naaman treated this young girl when he returned home completely, not only healed, completely transformed in his heart, being now a worshiper of the same God that the girl worshipped. 
I wonder if he allowed her to go back to Israel. And I'm sure he didn't treat her the same way he treated her before he got transformed. I do not know what happened to her, but I will ask her one day. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, the story we just heard, I love this story because it's also our story. And it's the story of the gospel. Notice the beautiful parallels between Naaman's story and your and mine story. Naaman was infected with an incurable disease and there was nothing he could do to be healed of his leprosy. The same was true of you and me. Somebody else took the initiative to make Naaman aware of the only way he could possibly be healed. That's how most of us heard the good news also. Somebody else took the initiative to come and tell us about Jesus. To be healed, Naaman had to believe the words of lowly servants. First, the young servant girl. Then, the servant of Elijah. And finally, the words of his own servants. To be saved, you and I had to believe the good news of the greatest suffering servant who ever lived. Spoken to us through some of his lowly servants, like my brother Raul. Naaman was an enemy who had caused great suffering to the person who was God's main instrument for his healing and salvation. The same was true of you and me. We were responsible for the great suffering of Jesus on the cross. The person he had deeply hurt chose to forgive him and tell him how he could be healed by the power of God. The Lord Jesus did exactly the same for you and me. And Naaman had to humbly admit that he did not have to do a great thing for God to heal him. He only had to believe and act on the words God spoke to him through the prophet or through the servants. And we also had to believe that the great salvation Jesus purchased for us is received not through strength, but through admission of weakness and need as a free gift of His grace towards us. And I'll close with this. To those among us who might think that you cannot be used by God to release His power of salvation in the lives of others because you are not too important, you are not too eloquent, or because you are too young or too old, or whatever your excuse might be, I tell you, never underestimate how you, yes, you, can be used to share the gospel, gospel with all kinds of people, even prominent people like Naaman, and be encouraged to do it by the fact that God's power for salvation is not in us. It's not in our gifts, in our skills. It's in the gospel we are called to share, to announce to those around us. As Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes, 
first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. May the great salvation God granted us by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, never cease to amaze us and to compel us to imitate the example of that young girl we heard about today. She was, and you and I can be, living examples of how God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish and despised things of, to shame the wise, and even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us so clearly through your word. Help us now to believe all these words that you have spoken to us and to put them into practice, but help us especially to have the same compassion and love towards those who still do not know you, who are still infected with the leprosy of their sin. Help us to have the faith in you that moved that girl to share the good news with her worst enemy. Help us to tell about the love of Jesus to those who have offended us and to do it with the love and compassion that you have already poured in our own hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.